Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. The sermon I'm going to preach today is to some extent connected to what I preached last Thursday. So, if you missed last Thursday, I would recommend you go back and watch it because this is also a bit connected to that. But uh, we're going next level. And it's deliberate because the Lord has impressed on my heart in this season to share some very pertinent aspects of the Christian life. Now, reading today, as rare as can be, I'm going to open from the message version, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1. 1, 2, 3, let's go. So, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like Him. Pursue the things over which Christ resides. Hallelujah. He says, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, with Christ. Act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Now, this, in why I choose to share from the message version, because it's going to really emphasize so much of what I felt convicted in vision and instruction to share. Because Many a times, I have been compelled by God to examine myself personally in my walk of salvation. In fact, provoked by God in my walk of salvation. And I've examined myself continuously in this aspect as of whether I'm really serious about living this new life with Christ and the seriousness that warrants me to act like it and to pursue the things over which Christ resides. Many times, God has provoked me by how sometimes in our continuous, you know, study, prayer, relationship, we become so familiar with the things of God and sometimes even inclined into indifference in our familiarity that we start to miss the core convictions of walking the life of faith that he has designed for all of us to live. And in there, we start to become unserious. We become complacent. We become so relaxed and lazy in the things of the Spirit 
we settle for only that which is convenient and applicable in our own understanding. And many a time, there are consequences. Because when you look at people who worship the devil, Satanists, devil worshippers, you will find that some of those people will provoke you by how they not only believe, yield, serve, and are willing to die for the devil, for Satan, than we are for the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It confronts my spirit every day when I look at the quality of Christianity that we're raising in this generation versus how much devil worshipping, occultism, sorcery, secret society, secret societies that are built, which now are even coming out of secret and exposing their crafts so openly. The devil back in the day used to hide and now he has come on surface. Yoga, Kundalini power, the third eye, serpent power. These things now are like, they're taught generally. They're not hidden anymore. Nyege, <laughs> And all these things that we see in the world. Back in the day, Satan used to hide a bit. But now, he has come up. And his believers or followers have become more aggressive now than they have ever been in human history. They are more bold than they have ever been. They are believing more than they have ever been. They are committed more than they've ever been. They are yielded more than they have ever been. And sometimes I look at the nature of Christians who can't pray anymore. You know, they're lazy. If they feel like going to church, they go to church. They don't feel like going to church, they don't go to church. They feel like they want to give, they give. They feel like they don't want to give, they don't give. They feel like evangelizing, they evangelize. They feel like they don't want to evangelize, they don't evangelize. And when they fall sick, you know, they can accept the disease. They can take it in or not take it in. Even when they are fighting, devil, I rebuke you, leave me alone in Jesus' name. You know, the laziness that is coming in the church, sometimes I tend to think, what are we missing? What are we missing? And then we claim to believe in a God and carry a faith that we are not willing, able, or bold enough to act it out. You find a sick man, you can't lay hands on them. But you believe that Jesus, what? Heals. You're sick, but you cannot believe God for healing. But you believe that Jesus heals. You passively accept the truth. Yeah, yeah, you know how to shout and write notes. 
And that's okay. But it's more than that. I believe that in the days that we're entering, God needs more tenacity, commitment, and resilience in our spirits more than he has ever required of the church before. I was reading a story uh, in 2 Kings chapter 3. After the king Ahab, the son Joram began to rule over Israel in Samaria. In that same time, Jehoshaphat was ruling in Judah. And the Bible tells us that the Israelites had power over a very famous king called Mesha. He was the king of Moab. And being a shipmaster, every year he used to give to the king 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. So that's what he used to give to Ahab. So when Ahab dies, the son Joram takes over. In some versions, even call him Joram. And then this Moabite king, who was sort of a colony, if I may call it, of Israel, rebels, the Bible says, against the king of Israel, Jehoram. I'm calling him Joram. So the king, the Bible says in the sixth verse, went to Samaria at the same time and numbered all Israel. And then he went to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and told him that the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to attack Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as thou art, my people are as your people, and my horses are your horses. So Jehoshaphat of Judah agrees to go with Jehoram of Israel to, you know, join hands to fight the rebelling spirit because Judah and Israel were won by blood. The eighth verse, which way shall we go? And he answered, they went through the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and then they also called unto the king of Edom and they also asked him and said, join us also because we are one people. So the king of Judah, king of Edom, joined their hands and forces to help the king of Israel, Jehoram, to fight the Moabites. But as they go, Jehoshaphat, being a very spiritual man, he tells them, let us inquire of the Lord through the prophet Elisha. I'm going to be skipping some verses because of time. Let us inquire of the Lord through the prophet Elisha. Does God want us to go or he doesn't want us to attack these fellows? So they go, in fact, in the 12th verse, in the 13th verse, Elisha says unto the king of Israel, what have I to do with thee? Get thee to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, No, the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them in the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regarded the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not have looked towards you. So Elisha allows to hear God for these three kings on behalf of Jehoshaphat. So they bring him the minstrel and the Lord starts to speak. And in the 18th verse, the prophet says, and this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver thee 
the Moabites also into your hand. So in prayer, God confirms to Jehoshaphat, the king of Edom, and the king of Israel, Jehoram, that God is going to deliver the Moabites into your hands. So they go with the blessing of God. Long and short, these three kings badly defeat the Moabites. When they defeat the Moabites badly, the Moabites retreat. When they retreat, the king of Moab says, maybe I need to attack these guys from a weaker kingdom, which is Edom. So he comes back again, builds 700 men of the best that he had, and then he told them, let's first go and hit the weak part. Maybe through that again, we might try to defeat them. They tried and they failed to defeat these three kings. And when they failed to defeat these three kings, these ones continued doing what they're supposed to be doing, to destroy everybody and everything in Moab as far as they can go. Verses 26, when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too sore for him, when he saw that the battle was too much for him, the Bible says he took with him 700 men that drew swords to break through even the king of Edom, but they could not. 27, then he took his eldest son that should have reigned in his stead and offered him for a burnt offerings upon the wall. And there was a great indignation against Israel and they departed from him and returned to their land. So when he realized he could not defeat the Israelites, whom God had prophesied to, that victory is theirs, he went and got his first son who was supposed to come in as king after his death and sacrificed him to his God, if you study the Bible, the God of this fellow was called Chemosh. He sacrificed him to Chemosh. And after sacrificing him, something spiritual happened. An indignation was hit against Israel and they departed from him and returned to their own land. This is what is believed would have happened. When the sacrifice took place, now in the physical, and the Edomite king, and Jehoshaphat of Judah had that this guy we are attacking has killed the son who should come in line after he's gone. They were offended, I believe. They were stumbled, I believe. And then they told the king of Israel, we're not going to fight this thing anymore. And when they pull out their forces, Israel realizes he's alone, Jehoram. And then he says, you know what? We can't fight alone as Israel. And they also what? Retreated. Now that's how I can explain it in the physical. But if I take you to the spiritual, there's a group of people with faith in God. The prophet has spoken that victory is theirs. Are you hearing me? And they are attacking this Moabite king, destroying him by the hand and power of God because they carry his blessing. And a man with deeper faith in his God appears and gets his firstborn and slays him before them. 
and something in the spirit realm happened and that war ended. Even the people God had given victory retreated back because a man with a bigger sacrifice had appeared. God respected it. Even though he had given Israel victory, when he saw the sacrifice of this man sacrificing his own seed, he said, with this kind of thing, even I cannot go against. I'm trying to tell you how made up some people are when they believe they are gods more than we are when we believe our God. If Israel had chosen to continue fighting, he would still have won the battle without Judah or the Edomites. But something in the spirit happened and a man with a greater sacrifice won that battle that day, even against the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not that our God was weaker than the God of Chemosh, but he looked into the spirit of this man and how much he was willing to sacrifice for the victory of his people. And these men could not. And God honored it. Israel turned back home and that battle was over. Because I repeat, some people in the dark world can sacrifice more than you are willing to sacrifice in faith for your God. You think it's new? These things you hear, child sacrifice, they sacrifice the child. People have sacrificed their own children for this thing called wealth, for this thing called power. Do you understand what I'm saying? And you're still dealing with a Christian who can't even tithe. And then you ask yourself, but me, what's wrong with me? What am I missing? That's exactly what you're missing. So let me open your eyes to something. Who here is familiar with something called teraphim? Let me explain what teraphim are. If I can take you back to the story of uh, Genesis 31, for those of you who remember that story, Laban, Jacob, you remember? The scriptures tell us, all through as you continue reading, Jacob, at the right time, wants to escape from Laban's house and carry his wives, Rachel and Leah, to take them wherever he's supposed to take them because he was tired of serving who? Laban. But the scriptures tell us that Rachel, one of his daughters, as they were running away from Laban, she stole her father's gods. Those gods are called teraphim. Are you following me? When she stole her father's gods, they ran and saw Laban starts chasing after Jacob to find him because they had gone with his what? With his gods. I'm not going to go into the story because I'm not looking for so much there. And you remember, uh, he finds Jacob and Rachel had sat on them and she says, oh, my father, I can't stand up. I'm in the ways of women, you know, in that time and, you know, somehow. When you study ancient rabbinical literature, let me explain what teraphims were. Back in the day, people used to worship 
different gods and they believe that for you to preserve a household to the next generation with power, with wealth, with influence, with glory, you needed to sacrifice your first son. So, houses used to do that and there was a place, every man which had money to build a house, there was a place for the teraphim. What was the teraphim? You had to get your first son, sacrifice him like you're sacrificing any other animal. After killing him and sacrificing them to your God, small God, not big God, then eventually they'll get the bones of that son and put them in a corner and that became a God. That's what they call teraphim. That means Laban had sacrificed his first son. Now, when you read ancient biblical texts, extra biblical texts, and I've read many of them, you realize that this teraphim, they used to even go to them to inquire of them. Of their future, of their destinies, of their businesses. They used to go before this teraphim to ask them questions, to get answers from them. So it was a common thing for men to sacrifice their first male sons. Remember, when it comes to us in the Bible, the first belongs to the Lord. Firstborn, do you understand what I'm saying? The firstling is of the Lord. Like Hannah commits her son, you know, Samuel to God and says, this is my first to you. It is Jewish culture, Eastern culture. Usually the first is given to God for service. In fact, when they win them off, they usually take them to the temple to serve then the rest can serve other things, but the first used to serve God, okay? Now, they copy the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For them, they sacrifice them. For us, we give them to the Lord. You understand? We commit them to the Lord. We put a Nazarite vow on them to serve God. That's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You don't believe in killing your firstborn. Are you following? For them, they sacrifice that firstborn. Those of you who have been in Africa, it's not a mystery. Of course, you're watching me from probably the US or Europe. You don't understand these things, maybe. But here in Africa, we know it. And we know people who have sacrificed some of their children. Either they've sacrificed the firstborns of some other person, or they sacrificed their own first child, or they put some stuff on that child, and the child is like a cabbage. You understand? Eh? But really, they are following a very ancient craft. That was terrifying. That was terrifying. You look at your child in the eyes and imagine how somebody can get you played with them. You know, you went to school with them. They made you laugh on dinner tables. They did this and made fun. And then a man puts a, a sword in that child bah, to redeem the destiny of his house. That's how much they have given. And you find such a guy and play with him. If even in the spirit, if you go back to the first story I told you, Israel would not go any further because a man sacrificed bigger. You find such a guy and you think that you're going to be on level field because you know how to sing hill song songs. You're joking. These sacrifices fasting two days. Read First Samuel 19. You remember the time when Saul was chasing David and wanted to kill him? Michal hides David puts him through a basket, through a window, and then he escapes. The scriptures tell us, Michal gets a teraphim. And when she took that teraphim, she covers it in the bed. When she covers in the bed, 
This guy is coming and think David is what? Sleeping. So how would they assume that it's a human being in there except the teraphim was in form of a man? Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of them used to keep skulls only. They put them in a corner, mostly. Most of them used to use skulls. They get that skull and put it there. That's a teraphim. It's not just a molded image out of soil or clay. Are you following what I'm saying? Men fight in the physical. The Bible tells us. And fight for a long time until they cannot get victory. And the Bible says they take this war from the physical realm as the war continues in the physical realm. These guys go in the heavenly realm and start fighting there while the physical is still taking place. The Bible says in Judges 5.20, they fought from heaven and the stars in their courses fought against Sisera. And when the victory was done in the heavens, down here, a woman just slays a man with a sword and he dies. So what you see physically happening had a spiritual connotation. There was a spiritual war taking place as a physical war was taking place. So men of war, people of war, you realize that even though there's this physical fight, they don't fight only with that. They fight with something else. One time I'm watching this story of Muhammad Ali when he fought George Foreman. If you watch that story, it is said that a shaking woman touched Joe Foreman. They brought witchcraft and touched it. They say it's in the movie if you watch. So I said to think. And so they say that because of that, they believed that his hands were not going to be stable while he was fighting who? Muhammad Ali. And Muhammad Ali won that battle. When Muhammad Ali won that battle, a short while, Muhammad Ali started shaking. Until the day he died. Correlation? The spiritual, you understand. There's a fellow who beat Muhammad Ali and Tyson cried and told Muhammad Ali, when I grow up, I'll beat that fellow. I don't know that some of you can do your research. And they put this man on interview. I'm not telling you what I heard. I saw the man on interview. And when Tyson grew up, interestingly, Tyson became heavyweight and he was to challenge that fellow. Is it Fraser or something? And I saw the guy on television live. And they asked him, is Tyson going to beat you? He said, Tyson cannot beat me. But if he beats me, he'll destroy his life. Tyson went ahead and defeated that man. Shortly, scandal, prison. That was the end of his career. But normal people are just watching a boxing match. Spiritual men are seeing the war. Some of you are just seeing battles. Many things are spiritual more than you think. And because they are televised, you think they are carnal. Some people have sacrificed way more in the fallen world than we are sacrificing in the kingdom of God. Am I saying go kill your kid? No, some random guy can take it. Am I saying go cut a goat and sacrifice it? No. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. 
In the New Testament, after that sacrifice, there is no other sacrifice. But he has required one thing of you that equates the sacrifice of the man in the world. One thing on you. John chapter 6, they come to him. Verses 28. And they say, what shall we do that we might walk the works of God? This, he says, is the work of God. I'm not asking you for many of these. I'm asking you for only one thing only, he said. That you believe on him whom he has sent. God has not taken away the principle of sacrifice. But in the New Testament, what the man sacrificed in the Old Testament is your sacrifice of faith in the New Testament. Everything you say you believe, believe it. Because the people of the world, I say, they're not playing. They have believed everything. Everything. That Satan has told them if they chose to worship him. They do everything that is required of them. Everything because of their faith. Let me tell you a story that happened in my personal life on my watch. 2004, I believe. I think 2004 into 2005. For many years, three years before, we used to attend a fellowship where my spiritual mother led. She's still my spiritual mother. I've kept her. So, this wonderful woman introduced us to God. We used to pray together, fasted together, had many days. So a young lady who was related to her comes from a country called Austria and she comes to visit her. And when she comes to visit her, they used to live in the same house. We used to come and pray, come and pray, come and pray. It was a prayer meeting every week. And then one of those days, of course, we get in this relationship, friendship, relationship with this lady. And I start to realize there was something wrong with her mind. She seemed as though she had bipolar. She was not okay. She was mentally not okay. You talk with her and see she wasn't fine. So one of those days, one of the people we used to pray with had a wedding. And so we went to that wedding spiritual mom and the whole fellowship where we used to pray because I mean that marriage was a big thing everybody got married we danced I think almost everybody in that fellowship got married so we reach this uh, wedding and I'm sitting on the table and the Lord gives me an open vision and I see this woman's womb cut out so I turned to my spiritual mother and I said mom does that woman have a womb? And she said, no. Did she tell you? I said, no. We'll talk about it. So we go back the next week to pray after that wedding. But she had intimated to her that this young man saw that you don't have a womb. So I start to ask her. We start to ask what happened. Because the Lord told me there was something in the loss of that womb that was deeply spiritual. 
So I start, you know, asking, what happened? How did you lose that womb? Stuff like that. And as she starts speaking, we start to see a very deeply demonic work. So I tell this woman, my mother, I said, let's pray for this woman. We start praying. And when we start praying, demons start manifesting on this young lady. And we prayed for her for a while. They departed. I went back home. Some day later, they called me in the morning about 6 a.m. She's roaring like a lion. We go back to pray for this lady. And as amazing God can be, I'm carried by the Spirit and I'm in her house in Austria. So I'm standing in a corner by the Spirit and I see a man, a white man, come in and he had a flower. And in that flower, he used to pour blood in that flower. Blood every day. He used to feed the flower with blood. And then I see him do witchcraft. And then I see him use some materials and give these materials. He would give them to his wife as though he had bought them for her. And then all of this is happening before my vision. And while we are praying for her, I start mentioning these things. We prayed, 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 prayed. I took off her ring. The first time I touch her ring like this, the demon says, you cannot take my ring. If you take away this point of contact, how will I connect to her? I knew. I said, I wage not war with flesh and blood. I took off the ring, took off earrings. All of these things the guy had bought. And then we prayed her back to sanity. When we prayed her back to sanity, I asked her, I said, do you have a plant in your house back in Austria where your husband pours blood? She says, yes. He's been pouring blood there for as long as I can remember. And he's been telling me that it's for animals. Ah, I knew what that blood was for. It wasn't for animals. So I start to ask her, in this time and period where in the hospital, losing your womb, do you remember having visions? Yes, she said, I had visions. A man came to me, introduced himself. He said, I'm Lucifer, that I'm going to be appointed as a regional bride. I was going to be kept for this and I was to be his wife and da-da-da-da-da-da. I'd had miscarriages before and all of them were sacrifices, da 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 Oh, I knew. This fellow flew all the way from Austria to come to Uganda for a sacrifice. This girl was born again. In fact, her story was even at one time in fellowship, she was short-sighted and somebody prayed for her and God healed her eyes. And then he comes on one of those visits, meets this wonderful girl who is born again. He's not born again. She don't give a damn because the boy is white and he have money. So she looked at him as a deliverer of a poor household. He said, here, let's go. He took her there. The guy was a devil worshiper. Deeply. So he was looking for Satan, a bride. And every kid that he impregnated her of was a sacrifice. Now some of you think you're watching a movie. No, this happened. This happened. Have witnesses. So we prayed and prayed. I prayed, I prayed. And then she started coming to sanity. She became okay every other day. She started to improve. Her mind started to come back. She learned to pray more. During that time, I had to return back to school, university. When I went to university, they took her to some other church. And I don't know whether they were trying to do deeper deliverance. I have my opinion. I'll never say, I've never even told my mom my opinion on that. 
But she enters that church and dies in that church. Cold. And I'm cold and I'm told she's dead. So we come for her burial. The family calls the husband and says, your wife is dead. He hangs up. You see, there are things we saw when we were praying for her that I don't want to share because some of you might not understand what I'm saying. Do you know switching off her phone, taking out the line and the phone calls and immediately demons get and strangle her. They even strangled another person in the house when we were watching. Anyway, so they tell her his wife is dead. He hangs up. He calls back three hours and says, after you told me my wife was dead, I went and walked hell for three hours. I don't see my wife. You need to send me proof that she's dead. He said, I've walked in hell for three hours. I can't find my wife. You have to send me proof that she's dead. That's when we knew she went to heaven. Are you following what I'm saying? But a woman's destiny ended. Christian. Because some of you don't take your salvation serious. Some of you don't take your salvation serious. Jesus sacrificed, I repeat, everything that you could need for the ultimate sacrifice. You don't need to sacrifice more than that. But the principle of sacrifice is now your work of faith. Because faith without works is dead. I'm trying to tell you, some of you, the reason why you are dealing with things that <laughs> you pray they can't live, they can't change, you're playing. Let me use a simpler language. You're not as crazy. One time there was something that I needed to happen. I was in some sort of trouble. And I got a huge amount of money. I was not trying to bribe God to take away that trouble. No. But I found myself giving so crazy, and I don't remember having done, you know, that as much, because the Spirit provoked me to express my faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross. And I was willing to do anything to get out of that trouble. Because there are things you'll find yourself doing, however crazy they are, because you're a believer. I was not buying what God had already given by Christ. But I was placing a seed of faith, thanksgiving, that it is done by Christ. You see what I'm saying? That means I believe it. I believe God. And God saved me from that trouble. Whether it's going to take a certain life of prayer, to express your faith and act like you believe. Whether it's going to take a certain kind of crazy giving, whether it's going to take a crazy kind of service, whether it's going to take a crazy kind of fast, whether it's going to take a crazy kind of yielding, whether it's going to take a crazy kind of whatever there is the Lord has impressed on your heart, at one particular point, you must act out your That's the sacrifice. Some of you pray like Jesus didn't die. 
Some of you fast like Jesus didn't die for you. Some of you give like Jesus didn't die for you. Some of you serve like Jesus didn't die for you. Some of you come to church, the way you pray, the way you fellowship, you don't look like you actually believe that you're living a resurrected life. Again, I repeat, faith without actions is dead. It's dead. Because somewhere in the world, there's a man willing to sacrifice for his God more than you are able to believe yours. And God sees it. Don't play with spiritual things because the devil doesn't joke. He doesn't play. Some of you, you just need to get a little bit crazy and you'll come out of that trouble. But you're too composed. You're too diplomatic. You're too furnished. You're too edited to worship God. Even when you're praying, are you? <laughs> Somebody shout amen. Take God serious. You are in the presence of God seeking Him, fasting and praying. And then some random dude who has no destiny comes and takes As if Jesus didn't die for you. Somebody provokes you into compromise as if Jesus didn't die for you. You sell your birthright for a morsel of meat as if Jesus didn't die for you. You accept those little monies under the table like Jesus didn't die for you. One time a man in the bank while I was in the bank he brought me a very big deal and told me if you do this deal you'll never work again. But we need to work with you to defraud this bank. Hmm. I told this man, you called a wrong man. You called the wrong one. He asked me why. I told him, man, I'm richer than this bank. <laughs> oh! I told him I have Jesus in my life. The creator of heaven and earth is in my spirit. By the way, why don't you receive him? And I started preaching. Why would I sell Jesus for a few millions? Some of you must understand that the gospel is serious. He said no. 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 Because I'm a believer. Praise the Lord Jesus. Those little small compromises. You say no. I'm a believer. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Today you're here, tomorrow you're there, today you're doing... Come on! Let God be God. If you chose to believe, believe to the end. To the serving of your soul. If you're not believing, don't believe. Somebody asked me, why do I struggle to give tithe? I told them, because you don't believe. Your salary is your God. Oh, but I have many debts and expenses. I told them, yes. But if you can exalt your expenses above God's principle, then mammon is your God. And then you open your hands up, lift them and say, Father, I believe in you. Wapi. <laughs> no, that's not true. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? Those guys are willing to do way more. A man enters a house with a machete or a gun and shoot somebody to death because he wants $50,000, $100,000, uh-uh, one million shillings. He's willing to kill a man 
and end their destiny. That's how much people can sell themselves out. A man is willing to sacrifice his family to the devil for power. You've seen them on television. Somebody sacrifices his wife and kids and everybody else just to stand before a camera because he needs that much power. And the believer can't pray because there is traffic. These guys are undressing themselves at night, doing things. <laughs> For you, yo. If you are serious about living this resurrection life with Christ, start to act like it. Pray like a believer. Give like a believer. Serve like a believer. <laughs> Do everything as crazy as you could because you are a believer. There are no more balances when it comes to faith. We have to go extreme. If it is indeed faith, God wants it extreme. Are you following me, child of God? You fight, you believe, you refuse, you stand. I know it hasn't worked, but I'm not going to change. I know things are not yet moving, but I'm not going to budge. I know I'm still feeling pain, but I'm going to go to church. Even tomorrow, I'm going to go to church. If he should take you out, let him take you out fighting. But this is what I learned. If what you have is faith, he can't take you out. He can't take you out. The Smith Wigglesworth, he said, I would rather die believing than live doubting. That's how crazy he was. Our generation has changed it. We're trying to say that I don't believe that a man who believes can actually die. That's what I'm trying to say. So why he says that I would rather die believing than living in doubt, we're saying you cannot die believing. So we change it to I would rather live believing than die doubting. Aha, that's it. Because <laughs> faith makes things live. I said faith makes things live. Open your mouth and start to speak to God. God who's merciful and kind faithful and gracious I'm the apple of his eyes the thought that fills his heart every morning he loved me when I didn't care 
Run was patient till I came running back into his heart. Look how he turned my life around, made me a shining star, his glory to reveal. I will worship him.
demons tremble at your presence. What a mighty God we serve. Singing glory, hallelujah. Everything written about you is great. Tell him demons tremble at your presence. responsibility that we should carry when we chose to believe you and I believe that we receive forgiveness now we receive forgiveness now the Bible says he is able to save to the uttermost they that come to God by him seeing that he liveth to make intercession is the prayers of Jesus that bring us to salvation. It's his intercession that guarantees the forgiveness of our sins. His blood, those are the guarantee. Not our works, but what he has done. So we receive forgiveness. But I pray for every man and woman at the sound of my voice that may we start acting like we believe like we have faith and trust in you. May we walk in faith. May we be obedient. May the works of faith follow us because we're believers. May we not slack behind in anything. May we not draw back to perdition. May we not give up. May we not give in or cave in. May we not fit in. May we not be comfortable. So today we receive power to be bold, to be bold for the gospel. Give the Lord a man of praise. If you're sick in your body, receive your healing right now and act out your faith. Receive your healing and say, Father, I receive it. And act out your faith. Do something you could not do before because healing is here. Healing is here. 
Healing is here. In Jesus' name. Say amen. Now, one more thing. I want to give an opportunity to anybody who says, you know what, Apostle, today I want to receive that Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to take him in my heart. I want to receive him. This is the best decision you could ever make in your life. Repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you died for my sins and you were raised for my glory. Today, I believe you and take you in my heart as Lord and Savior. I'm born again. Only you can change me, can transform me, can deliver me, can heal me, can take me to heaven. And today my life is yours. Take it. Amen. This sermon has been brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number plus 256-200-999-400 or email us at info at You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Follow us on our social media platforms on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Fenero Ministries International. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at the Uma Upper Gardens from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. and for our Sunday services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. at the Uma Multipurpose Hall. Fenero, make manifest.